available at www.annexwealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult an advisor about your specific situation. Good morning and welcome. This is the Annex Wealth Management Investment Show. Time to talk with Mark Beck, your host. Mark is Director of Wealth Management Services. We are live on WISN. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Paul. Good to see you. And good to see you, Mark. Also, Derek Felsky from Annex. Welcome back. Hi, Paul. Good morning, Derek. We Man, we got a lot to talk about with Derek in the studio. I know we're just going to turn it over to Derek, we think, here. That's right. So Derek's our chief investment <laughs> officer. Great opportunity for people that are thinking about you know, market volatility and you know, recent events and what, how does that affect their investment portfolio. So you know, Derek um, is here to take those calls as well, as well as any type of financial planning questions. And that's really what we want to do on Saturday is you know, uh, hear from our listeners. Let's open up these lines, Mark. As you said, the phone lines are open. Investment questions, financial planning questions, money questions. It's what we do. We're also going to cover last week. We'll look back a little bit at market activities, talk about the economy, a lot of good stuff going on um, in the economy. And we're going to dive, you know, kind of get deep in the weeds on that stuff. But we also want to hear from you. So if you've got questions, the number is 799-1130. Toll free, it's 800-838-9476. That's our steam dry carpet cleaning toll free number. Throughout the show, Mark, will tell about, um, you know, you've got five locations now. Mm-hmm. Six if you count the um, annex Annex everywhere. I right. love that feature. Yeah, and we'll tell you uh, all about our branches. We'll tell you all about how to get a free portfolio review if you're interested in that. And we've got some events coming up that we will um, share that information as well. Looks like we got callers uh, chiming in already. So Spencer lines up some questions. Uh, 799-1130. The best time to call right now with your questions. Let's kind of talk about what's going on with the economy and the markets. All right, let's do that. So let's just take a quick snapshot of the past week, Derek, and then we'll kind of move forward from there with some of the themes that you know we've been paying very close attention to. So oh, we, oh, you want me to talk? Sure, go ahead. Oh, okay. Sure. Got you off guard. You're, no, so, you're welcome to join anytime you want. Yeah. So, so last week, you know, we had we had you know lots of geopolitical concerns. We had concerns about the Italian debt markets, uh, fears that perhaps Italy would consider leaving the EU, which of course would destabilize that region. Uh, we also had the the Trump administration impose tariffs on on our friends, you know, the European Union, uh, Mexico, and Canada on steel and aluminum. And then we also had really strong economic data. We had a great jobs report, uh, beat expectations by 40,000 for the month. Prior months were revised upwards. Uh, We saw a great manufacturing PMI. So basically, the economic fundamentals versus geopolitical risk. And at the end of the day, the economic fundamentals won out with the S&P up half a percent, the NASDAQ up. 1.6 1.6 and small caps continue to lead making a new all-time high that jobs report was a big deal did that shock a lot of insiders in the industry derek well apparently the president kind of tipped it off about an hour before the release but but basically the job market you know we focus on trends we don't really focus on month-to-month numbers but the trend in jobs growth has been really good the unemployment rate is down to 3.8%, which is the lowest it's been. Uh, in fact, in 2000, the last the last time the unemployment rate was 3.8% was in 2000. At that time, the 10-year 
yield was six and a half percent. So right now we've got the same unemployment rate, but we've got a 10 year yield that's at 2.9 percent, which is one of the reasons why equities look attractive. That is fascinating. I mean, it's unbelievable how long rates have been able to stay this low. You know, draw the correlation for our listeners between unemployment and inflation, interest rates in the Fed. Well, well, there, there's always been this presumption that as you approach full employment, you're going to have to raise wages, which inevitably leads to, to inflation. And what we've seen in this cycle is, is actually the opposite. Even though the unemployment rate has continued to move lower and job openings are at record levels, the skills gap, I think, is part of the reason that we haven't seen an uptick in inflation. And the other reason is that, you know, as, as the demographics suggest, you know, the older folks, the baby boomers are starting to retire and they tend to make more than the millennials who are entering the workforce. So that's another thing that's dampening wage growth because you're basically replacing more expensive workers with less expensive workers. So that's been a, a very good environment for bonds. We've had a bull market in bonds since 1981, really since even before I got in the business. And now we're starting to see a subtle shift, but we, we've yet to see the the inflationary green shoots that are, that are concerning some bond investors. Yeah, and it, you know, the inflation hawks, so people that are most concerned about inflation would look at that unemployment number that's at a record low and they would say that has to lead to wage inflation so shouldn't the fed be more aggressive but yet at the same time you just pointed out that the data hasn't shown a significant increase in wages and wages is one of the core you know um things that we need to really push inflation higher yeah and that's one of the reasons when we you know when we build our our model portfolios and we use efficient market hypothesis and the like the danger of those things is they're all backward looking you know they assume that that all things are the same as they were, say, 20, 30 years ago. The economy now is far more global than it's ever been. Uh, the ability of, you know, the impact of technology on, on restraining input costs is, is dramatic. You know, the, the, the efficiencies in automobiles, for example, now are less vulnerable to a spike in gas prices. There's all sorts of things that, that technology has reaped, and one of those is greater efficiency, which essentially is a disinflationary force. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, I always look at these sorts of things. And when you get into this environment where you've got, you know, two different arguments, I mean, that's really what leads to a lot of the market volatility that we've been experiencing. And this is one of the very basic ones that I think is going on, uh, you know, and, and it makes investors a little nervous. People get a little bit uneasy, but it's a, you know, it's a normal part of uh, a correctionary environment that we're in right now. Yeah, I mean, I had a, yesterday I had a meeting mark with a client that you know very well. They've been with us for about, ever since I've been in Annex, and that's seven years. And he was saying, you know, okay, my portfolio's up a little bit year to date, yet I hear earnings are great, the economy's great, unemployment is at really low levels. Why am I not making more money in my portfolio? And what I explained to him was, in the prior five years, the multiple on the S&P, in other words, the valuation that investors were willing to pay for S&P earnings, expanded five years in a row, which basically means that the market did better than earnings. And this year, earnings are doing better than the market. And I think the frustrating people for, for some people is that with unemployment at 3.8%, what does that typically mean uh, for stock market returns? And, and in actuality, what you find is when unemployment is less than 3.8%, stocks don't do as well as when it's more than 3.8% on average, because essentially some people are thinking this is as good as it gets from a job perspective. Yeah, it's sort of like the prove it mentality, right? Prove that you can, can, can sustain this, prove that the earnings growth can be sustainable from this point forward. Um, you know, and the other thing, this is kind of what you mean when we talk once in a while, we say, well, we borrowed returns from last year, right? Right. And it's the idea that we had such strong 
uh, multiple expansions, such strong stock market increases, but we got ahead of the earnings trend and ahead of the economic growth, and that has to sort of correct itself. Well, yeah, so as a consequence of that conversation, knowing that I'd be on with you, I went back and, and, and found some information about how the stock market tends to do after an earnings peak and, and at what point a recession falls in. So just the last two times this occurred, in June of 2000, earnings growth peaked. The recession didn't start in March of 2001, which essentially was nine months later. And in June of 2004, earnings peaked, but the recession didn't start until December of 2007. That's 41 months earlier. So even if earnings are peaking, which we do not believe they are, and we'll get into that in a little bit, um, you still have time, and that's what we're trying to avoid a recession before we dial down the risk of our portfolios. Yeah, in, and you know, talk a little bit about the muted economic growth during this expansionary cycle, because I think that's a really important message also, how long it has taken us to get to the point where we are now seeing this strong acceleration in economic growth compared to previous cycles. Yeah, Jamie Dimon, actually the chairman of J.P. Morgan, yesterday spoke about this. And what he said is he thinks we're in the sixth inning of an economic expansion, Paul. And the reason he, he said that is he felt the tax policy had been misguided in prior years, that the economy and the economy was over-levered, over-regulated, excuse me. And so basically what we've been seeing since the Trump administration took office is obviously a much more aggressive fiscal policy, which was lacking during in the prior administration, and also the rollback of, of any number of regulations affecting transportation companies, energy companies, financial services companies. In fact, they just signed that legislation that rolled back some elements of Dodd-Frank, which restrained lending. So, so basically, his feeling is we haven't hit the excesses that we've seen in the past. We don't see inflation. We don't see wage growth. So there is room for this economy to continue to motor along at a, at a fairly good clip. In fact, the Atlanta Fed yesterday, which is a fairly decent uh, predictor of, of GDP, is actually estimating Q2 GDP of 4.8%, which would be more than double what we saw in the first quarter. And that was a quarter in which corporate America had record earnings. That would be a huge acceleration. That would be unbelievable. What's the reference to the sixth inning? In other words, three, uh, you know, you got three innings left. What's What's going to happen there? Well, it means you're two-thirds of the way through. Six divided by nine is two-thirds. Oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> so, so Basic e- math. Economy e- and yeah. markets go through cycles, right? So, you know, we, we call them um, recession and expansion. Yeah. Okay, so we're obviously in an expansion or growth cycle right now. Um, but they tend not to continue. I mean, I think everybody wishes we could just be in an environment where slow, steady growth was the norm and it continues, um, but it just hasn't historically occurred that way. So we go through a recessionary period of time where the economy contracts a little bit and unemployment goes up and, uh, and then we go through the expansions. And so we always look at where, from, from an investment standpoint, we're much more worried about recessions than we are just stock market corrections because the recessions lead to bear markets and those tend to have a couple of years cycles to them from peak to trough to recovery, whereas corrections, you know, we accomplish that in, in a few months. Can I ask another stupid question? I'm ready for it's you. It's like, I'm on a roll here. You said the federal unemployment rate is 3.8%. The states is a little bit lower, isn't it? Oh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, I think, is in the twos. I mean, Wisconsin has one of the strongest, amazing. one of the lowest unemployment rates in the nation. Now, along with that, you also mentioned if the boomers are retiring, making a higher, let's say that the baby boomer retired, making 100 grand a year, the millennial taking his place is making 50 a year. Is that good or bad for the economy? 
Well, what it does is it, it restrains wage growth. Well, I mean, many reasons these boomers are retiring is maybe they're, they, they lack the physical dexterity to do their job, like a construction worker, for example. You know, as you get older, it becomes a little bit more, more challenging. And so younger folks perhaps would be hired in their place. And there's just a, a limit to that. Um, but, but there are any number of reasons why wages have, have remained, you know, somewhat calm in terms of what you'd expect is given stagnant rate. a good word to use no stagnant is not the word okay. i mean uh, income was up have two some po- growth yeah wage growth was up 2.7 percent the reason we watch wage growth so much though is it's indicative of the strength of the economy and it's even more indicative of what the fed's likely to do given that so for example with interest rates still fairly accommodative with the fed funds rate below the rate of inflation the fed certainly has room to raise rates and one of the reasons they'll raise rates is if they see wage growth start to percolate up into the three three and a half four percent range which they haven't seen so again you know this is how why the global economy matters so much so all this stuff goes on in italy freaks people out the two-year note in italy goes from minus 50 basis points yield to negative yield to 3.1 percent in 18 days and then by the end of the week it was back to one percent but that all puts downward pressure on interest rates here which again is one reason why we've believed rates would go up in the United States, but fairly slowly. And that's the key. As long as rates go up slowly in a measured way, as the economy continues to grow at a two to three percent rate, equity prices ought to do well. Fixed income won't be a disaster. And, and basically people's portfolios should be in fairly good shape. And that's what's happening. That's- that is what's happening. It's Goldilocks essentially. So, so Derek, back that up even one more notch. What we're basically what we're saying here is that expansions, bull markets do not die just of old age. So what we're doing is we're watching for what might be the cause. And you look at some of those historical normal causes. One of them, for example, is a mistake by the Fed. So over-tightening on behalf of the Fed. All of the conversation about inflation and wage growth all comes to trying to understand what the Fed might do from an interest rate perspective. It's, it's all intertwined. It's kind of like a mosaic quilt if you think about it. You know, you've got a quilt with a variety of different patterns. When you look at it collectively, it makes sense. But if you looked at it individually, you're just focused too much on the individual noise. And the other reason uh, bull markets tend to end is you see some sort of geopolitical shock. Now, obviously, trade wars would certainly cat- be, be in that category. But, at you know, our investment committee and as we've talked a lot about this I mean we view what's going on in trade as really a public negotiation I mean you could argue that the Trump administration is pretty pretty smart about this they're, they're basically issuing tariffs on the EU Mexico and Canada but what they're really doing is issuing a warning to the real target of this which is China That's so what are the critics on that. what would the critics say about that I mean because there, there are some critics uh, there are. <laughs> There's just a few. Yeah, just a few. No, I mean, it's I mean what's a, their argument? Well, well, their argument is that all of this stuff should be done behind closed doors, done multilaterally and the like. And I, you know, I, I mean, I'm not a trade representative, but it, it would seem to me that you'd get your best deal negotiating with countries on a country by country basis. Although I'm sure that's very complicated and that's part of the reason it hasn't been done that way. But it, it would seem to me that the issues the United States has with Mexico over trade are different than the issues the United States has with Canada over trade. Oh, certainly. So you'd think you'd get a better, more even handed deal if you dealt with them 
directly as opposed to as, as a group. But that that again is something for the the politicians and trade representatives to figure out. I mean, trade is very complicated. It's not just like you know we sell you an auto, we buy an auto from you. There are parts that come from other places that have different trade restrictions and the like. So all this stuff that's being discussed in the media takes a long time to ferret out. And of course, what I think the market has learned over the last several months is just because we tweet something doesn't mean it's happening. It means it's a it's a possibility. It's a negotiation. And it's again why I encourage that client I met with yesterday not to sit there and view his portfolio in the context of headlines, but view his portfolio in the context of his goals, what the rate of inflation is, what his exposures are, how his portfolio holds up on a down day versus an up day. Get away from that. Focus on more like the monthly trends, the quarterly trends. So, for example, very few people would know, but May was the best performing month for stocks since January. The Nasdaq was up almost 5%, and small caps were up 6 And January was a killer month. And January is a killer month. I mean, year-to-date, the S&P is up 2.5%. Nothing great, but again, we're going to midterm elections. There's uncertainty. We're in the seasonally weak period for equities. But as we approach that midterm election, it becomes clear whether the House is going to go Democrat or stay Republican. I think you get a you know a feeling that the economy is on pretty pretty sound footing and maybe we'll make some progress on trade maybe we'll make some progress with north korea who knows it's just i always think it's better to focus on the glass being half full versus half empty but we are always looking out for a recession we do not see that at this point yeah and think about that you know so we talked about a couple of things so fed policy mistake would be one that might kill the bull market you just talked about geopolitical events and when you're talking about stocks the thing i'm thinking about is is one of the other ones which is a bursting of a bubble and this is why maybe it's perfectly fine. When we say, for example, that corrections are healthy, it's because it's that period of time that allows the stocks to sort of fall back, P.E. ratios to kind of reset themselves. In, in a normal environment, especially like we're in right now, we see continued growth in earnings. So you get kind of a reset to valuations. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. For example, at the beginning of the year, the, the forward multiple, in other words, the valuation that investors were willing to p- pay on S&P earnings for 2018 was at 18.2. Since that time, earnings have gone up dramatically, as we mentioned. Prices have gone sideways up 2.4%. So actually, the stock market is almost 10% cheaper now than it was at the beginning of the year, despite the fact that it's up. Right, and if you take a look forward, that's why we pay attention to, okay, is you know peak earnings, for example, that's the new term that you're gonna hear a whole bunch about. But if we can see earnings estimates continue to be positive, the growth of earnings essentially continue to be positive, you know, you can say, hey, well, stocks are 10% cheaper now than they were before. Why wouldn't you wanna to continue to own stocks if you think the earnings are gonna continue to grow? And the second quarter looks good. Uh, for the For the second time since 2011, you know, typically when a quarter begins, analysts are fairly optimistic, but then as the quarter progresses, estimates tend to go down. Last quarter was the first time since 2011 that analysts in the first two months of a quarter actually revised their estimates up. Now, that wasn't just because of taxes. That was because of global growth. It was because of of, of high revenue growth in, in countries like China and, and the Eurozone. And this quarter, that's that's true as well. So only for the second time since 2011, we see the estimates go up the first two months of a quarter, which bodes pretty well for Q2 results, which will be reported sometime towards the end of July and into August. Excellent. Fed rates, you expect to go up this year again, obviously, but a, a slow increase, Derek, like you said. The, the street 
this uh, before last week, we were looking at about a 50% probability that we'd have three more rate hikes in 2018. As a result of the, you know, uncertainty in the Eurozone and, and some moderation of, you know, just inflation, you know, with oil pulling back and the like, that probability has dropped to about 25% on that fourth hike, which the third, in other words, the third hike since the first one this year. Uh, so again, we continue to think the Fed is going to be data dependent. They want rates to move up. Uh, but again, the the Fed funds rate is right at the rate of inflation, which is not an aggressive tightening policy. That's the first time this show you've mentioned the word inflation. So does that mean that we're not concerned about inflation anymore? Or is, I mean, is that always a concern? Are we headed that way? No, I, I think you have to be be concerned about inflation. But as I mentioned, there are all sorts of other drivers that affect inflation, like demographics, uh, like technology. You know, just, let's think about what Amazon has done in terms of pricing. Mm-hmm. And look at the behavior of consumer staple stocks, which sell things like toothpaste and soap. They have no pricing power. So essentially, you've got an economy that continues to grow. You've got slack that has just now been exhausted. So we're going to start seeing more cyclicality, which is why what you know Mark keeps talking about, you know, a Fed mistake. Well, one of the mistakes the Fed could make is they could see a temporary blip in inflation, like for example, a spike in oil prices or perhaps a one or two quarter pop in in wage growth and they might tighten to the point where you start to invert the yield curve and that could get people concerned because then people would think well maybe the economy won't be growing as fast a year from now as it is today and and that's one way you get to a recession right people's expectations get a little bit too exuberant they sit on their hands uh, they make decisions because perhaps they fear some trade related issue or whatever so that's what we're always looking for that's how we you know manage our our portfolios tactically is try to find indicators of a recession and, and act in front of that. That was a good segment. All seemingly to me, good news. We're in a good state. Well, you know, I would say we're in a good state, but there are certainly, you know, some warning signs out there, things that we definitely need to pay attention to. And, you know, one of the things that we can maybe talk about in our next segment here is, you know, how to kind of find the areas that we can concentrate on. So tactically, as Derek calls that, uh, because if you think about, you know, some of the areas that you might not want to be investing in. So stock market is up, right? But that doesn't mean that if you break that apart and look at all the different sectors, that there aren't areas that, boy, you clearly would have wanted avoided to have avoided so far this year. So, you know, it's not that, you know, you just kind of blindly say, oh, okay, things are good and we want to own, you know, a, a balanced stock portfolio. You want to own a balanced portfolio with some tactical overweights in those areas that you think are really going to benefit from the current economic environment, especially looking forward. And that might lead to some different decisions than if if you just kind of take your 401k list of choices, line it up, go down the list and say, oh, here's some that performed really well last year. I'm going to put more money into those. You might find yourself really on the wrong side of the cycle. We covered a lot in this segment. Very good in-depth analytical information. Derek Felsky, Mark Beck is here. How about this? After the break, we'll sneak away for a few commercials. Let's take some phone calls. You can call in. In fact, you know, if you call in during the break, we'll take your questions right when we come back. Investment questions, response to anything we've talked about with regard to the economy and what's going on. Later in the show, Mark, you've got some events coming up. Annex now with five locations in the state of Wisconsin, and the sixth one is virtual. It's right on your computer. That's right. And we'll explain that when, when we come back. In the meantime, give us a call. Talk to Mark Beck, Derek Felsky from Annex Wealth Management here at WISN. 799-1130. That's our phone number. You'll get right through. 799-1130. Toll-free, 800-838-WISN on the Steam Dry Carpet Cleaning toll-free number. 53 degrees. Weather forecast details for this weekend coming up next as well here in WISN.
Don't remember days, you remember moments. But when the old tapes and photos that hold your cherished memories degrade, or worse, you lose them, they're gone forever. Hi, I'm Nick Mako. And I'm Adam Baselogger. We started Legacy Box to have... Back on News Talk 1130 WISN with Annex Wealth Management. Mark, before we go any further in the show, 799-1130, questions are welcome. Investment questions right now, give us a call. Let's just explain real quickly those locations. You've got five in all, and the sixth one is literally what we said virtually. So you can share computer screens. I can be in my home, my office. I can be out of state and have a meeting with you. You're right. You're right. In fact, we have people that do that on a regular basis. Exactly that. So uh, screen, it's very simple screen share technology, basically the same client interaction, the same experience, just that you don't have to, you know, come in uh, in the middle of the day and visit us in our conference room. So, and especially this works well, you mentioned people out of state, um, you know, folks that are really busy at work and you, but you can take a half hour maybe, you know, and, and sit down in front of your computer and sc- and share some time with us. That works. Um, even like husband and wife where maybe they're both at work at different places and it's easier for us all to collectively meet because you don't have to be in the same spot. You know, we use a conference line and use the screen share. Um, so that works great. Many people still prefer the face to face. That's awesome. That's why we Physical have. Physical location. Bra- yeah, that's why Brick we have and mortar. Branches and locations that are convenient, right? So Elm Grove. Delafield, Mequon, Appleton, and downtown Milwaukee in the historic Fister Hotel. I love it. And everything's on your website, AnnexWealth.com. You can check it out. You can call for a complimentary portfolio review. They go really in-depth with, with you. And a lot of WIS and listeners have done this over the years. Mm-hmm. Call 262-786-6363. 786-6363. Don't call that number now. Call that number after the show. That's right. Right now, call us. We want to take some calls, Mark. We got Derek Felsky in studio. We had a great opening segment. I mean, really got deep into the kind of the analytics of, of the economy and where we're at. Yeah, you know, it's the great thing about the team at Annex, you know, is we've got uh, people that are professionals in their own specific area. So, what, so Derek, for example, heads up the investment team. So when we get Derek here, we get to really dig deep into the investment portfolio. You know, we've talked with Mandy in the past, tax uh, specialist. You know, we've heard from Randy, who heads up our financial planning department, um, Jill, a state planning yeah. expert. You know, so we've got all of those folks, and we bring that all together around all of our clients. Uh, it, you know, it's a very powerful arrangement as far as how we meet clients' comprehensive wealth management needs. Um, one more thing, real quick, before we move on, though, Paul, you mentioned Appleton. Uh, we've got a, uh, a fantastic branch in Appleton. Dennis Johnson is our wealth manager up there. Sarah Johnson, client service manager. We also manager have a there. radio show so, up there, too. Yeah, we do a radio show on WHBY, yeah. which is on Thursdays, 4 p.m. on Thursdays. So if you're in the Appleton area, flip the dial to WHBY at that time. Of course, come right back to WISN as soon as oh, you're course. done with that, please. Uh, but we have an event coming up in Appleton, uh, the Retirement Roadmap. So I'll actually be there for this. This is June 7th. So that's this coming Thursday, I believe. Thursday, right? June 7th, 6 p.m. at the Butamore Country Club. This is what we call a map to managing retirement. Um, so great workshop, all about the decisions and uh, you know planning items and distribution strategies and where's my income going to come from? Do I have enough money? Am I on track? You know all those kinds of things. It's in Butamore uh, Golf Course too. Yeah, the Butamore Country Club and Golf Course. Yeah, it's a beautiful facility. Uh, this is there's no charge. You are welcome to attend. It's free. Um, we do ask that you register, please, because you know we have a limited amount of space available. I'm sure it's filling up. You know probably today uh, it'll be it'll be all filled up. 
Um, and like I said, I'll be there uh, as one of the presenters. Looking forward to it. It's coming up on Thursday. If you are interested, um, it's AnnexWealth.com, and you can click on the events and sign up right there. Free. It's free, but you do right. have to register. Maybe sneak in a quick round of golf before. <laughs> well, so I guess you it is a private club, so I can't promise you you're allowed to go there and play golf, although that would be very fun. That's <laughs> uh, a great place yeah, to have an great. event, though. That's uh, at Butamore, uh this Thursday. And again, AnnexWealth.com for more info. Yeah, absolutely. So, Derek, let's, you know, before the break, I just mentioned... You know, that when you think about, you know, earnings growth and economic growth uh, and, and, you know, we're in a pretty tepid inflation environment and, you know, Paul's comment was, hey, everything seems great. You know, my, my, my reaction to that is, yes, but, you know, you still need to be very tactical with your investment portfolio. So, for example, let's just talk a little bit about, you know, the winners and losers recently from the economic sector perspective. Not everything is performing as well. Right. Well, Mark, as you know, every Tuesday, you know, we get together as an investment committee, you being a member of the investment committee as well as, well as two other folks who's you know, Dave, Dave Spano and Mark Oswald. And so I was, you know, I prepare a lot of materials for that meeting. And so one of the things I was looking at this week was our latest data on exchange traded funds. And we have an incredible tool at Annex that basically allows us, Paul, to, to basically say, okay, these are the companies that are in a particular ETF. Let's, let's say the technology ETF, the Vanguard technology ETF. So basically what our tool allows us to do is evaluate each individual company that's in that ETF by a variety of different criteria like free cash flow, valuation, earnings momentum, earnings revisions, uh, you know, capital efficiency, and any number of other uh, key financial metrics. And then what we do is we apply the score on each individual stock within that ETF as uh, on a weighted basis, in other words, how it's weighted in that ETF. So that gives us a sense of what the relative attractiveness of various ETFs are, not just across sectors, like for example, not just technology versus financials, but also there are a variety of different technology ETFs out there too. So is XLK a better variation of tech exposure based on our work than VGT, which is the Vanguard tech ETF, right? So when we think about tactical positioning, there is a process and a discipline that underlies it all. It's not just the four of us putting our fingers in the air and trying to decide which way the economic winds are blowing. Throwing darts at a board. Yeah, we're not doing that. And what that's done is it's applied a level of rigor and process that has really helped us a lot in terms of avoiding potholes and staying focused on underlying fundamentals and not getting deterred by the, the news headlines of the day. So, for example, in our portfolios, you know, two of the, th- you know, it's, it's sometimes more about what you don't own than what you do own. So we haven't owned utilities for several years. Utilities have dramatically underperformed the S&P. They do not score well on valuation primarily. Uh, we've avoided energy. Now, energy's done pretty well this year, but it did very poorly last year. So on a net-net, we're better off having not been in energy. Uh, consumer staples, you know, companies like Altria, uh, Campbell Soup, you've been reading the headlines. Those companies are doing are not doing very well. Campbell Soup, in fact, was down 12% last week on really disappointing sales. But again, this metric analysis and, and decomposing an ETF and focusing on what, what's in it have really helped. Um, on the contrary, so for example, we've been overweight technology, which continues to score the best of all sectors. That's, X, that's VGT in our case, but there are others that score well. Uh, financials, the financial stocks individually and collectively score very well. 
well, so we're overweight in financials. Uh, healthcare is mixed. You know, the biotech names don't score well on valuation, but they score great on earnings growth and earnings revisions. Uh, so that's been a longstanding overweight. And finally, consumer discretionary, which is probably the one that's the most controversial, Mark, you know, because Amazon, which is the largest component in XLY, which is the spider that we've been using in consumer discretionary, is over 22% of that index, and it scores a five, which is the lowest rating you can get. Amazon so, scores low. Yeah. Be, well, but let me explain. So so basically, when we do these scores, there are a compendium of other scores. So the valuation score, score is, a, is, is sort of a, a unifying factor, but there are 25 different factors that are composed inside that. And so when we looked at and really drilled down on Amazon, what you really find is they're basically spending their profits to build warehouses, right? And to, to fund content creation and the like that is enabling them to continue to expand. Like you, I think you mentioned on this show not that long ago that 55% of the households in the United States have Amazon Prime. Now you think about that. It's amazing. I mean, they've got direct access into more than half the households. Uh, and of course, the average income level of those households is above average. So we're gonna give Amazon a pass and we're gonna give that ETF a pass on Amazon and its strength. But when you look beneath the surface and that that ETF, you have companies like Visa, which scores really well, Home Depot, which scores really well. A lot of retailers like Macy's and Kohl's and uh, Nordstrom score really well. So that that explains our our you know overweight there. So that's what I'm what I'm trying to describe as a process that leads us to make tactical situ- tactical changes. And these factors don't change week to week; they change quarter to quarter, year to year. And but we are reviewing these things on a biweekly basis. I was just going to ask, know, how often is this done? Every two weeks? We meet every week, but we review these every every other okay. week. I mean, otherwise, it, it's it's kind of pointless because a lot of those numbers are driven by reports, and they only report once a quarter. <laughs> right. You know, I'm thinking to myself, as, as I'm listening to Derek describe this process um, that I know intimately well, obviously, I'm thinking to myself, if you're an individual investor, you know, you know how there's no way you're doing this level of homework. How could you? And if you're working with, you know, a, I don't know, advisory firm that's, you know, a couple of people, I mean, they're just not bringing that level of resources, uh, you know, and not to toot our own horn, but this is where I think I should add in that, you know, that that the team aspect of what we do at Annex Wealth Management is so powerful because you have investment professionals, the level of which Derek is part of that you know, team. You know, that, that they focus, you know, that's what he does all day, every day. So when I'm spending time with clients, which is what I love to do, I'm face to face in the rooms, we're helping people understand where they're headed and what their goals look like, where they're going from here and how to bring the pieces together around their personal financial situation. You know, Derek gets to continue to do this level of research and bring that benefit to our clients, which is, which is fantastic. Amazon, you mentioned Derek, they have just been a game changer. I mean, they've changed our lives the way we buy things. I think they they made more money last quarter than they had made in their prior history, which shows you the the vision that Jeff Bezos had. In fact, Warren Buffett, you know, talks about him in glowing terms because, you know, very few people are able to build a single business. He's actually built two, not just the Amazon business that we think of, you know, in terms of the books and the, and the just selling retail goods over the internet, but also the web services business, which really is enabling them to continue to build their footprint by throwing off tons of cash flow. Yeah. And it's amazing because it's one of the, the part of the business that is not tangible to us as the consumers, right? You know, we know Amazon because you have Amazon Prime. You can order anything you want with a click in your phone, uh, and you may even 
and doorstep. stream your te- your television stuff through Amazon, right? So that's what we know it as. But the web services aspect uh, is, is tremendous and such a cash flow machine. It's amazing. Kind of wonder where we're going to be 20, 30 years from now. From we're not going to be driving mortar. cars. We're going to be driving. We're going to be riding in cars that are driving themselves, right? What well, doesn't that make you think of the Jetsons though? Aren't you still waiting for the flying car? We're just going to skip over the flying car and go By to self driving. It was always the year two thousand. You know, when I was growing up, that everything. Was? But yeah, we'll be flying it. Well, that that didn't quite happen. And a robot made. I'm still waiting for that too. Hey, what about the uh, what's going on with Tesla? I mean, they they got some issues with uh, another driverless car hitting a police car. I mean, they're working out the bugs, right? Well, from what I you know, it, it seems like Tesla gets a, a, a lot of negative publicity and unfairly. I mean, okay, when a Tesla car has an accident, it's all over the headlines. It's going to be the number but one. But there story. are a lot of GM cars that had accidents in right, the last 24 right. hours. Trust me. But but the thing with Tesla that's difficult is they haven't really been able to meet their production quotas on the cars. They say they want to lower the cost of the car from 50-some-odd thousand to 35,000. So if you're lowering the cost of a car that you're not able to produce in sufficient quantities, that would cause some analysts to question whether their forecasts are overly aggressive. The other thing about Tesla is, you know, they owe a lot of debt. And in order to, to fund this growth, they're running cash flow negative. They need to borrow money. As the company slips behind on its production schedules, the cost of the debt goes up. So there, there, there are some issues there. Now, other people have told me, and, I, and actually a, a manager named Ron Barron, who I respect a great deal, runs a great firm in New York. It's one of his largest holdings, and he thinks that stock's going up 10x in the next 20 years. No oh. kidding. No, he, he believes that because he thinks it's a battery company, and the batteries are, are important. Uh, they're going to eliminate the need for gasoline and automobiles and the like. So to me, Tesla's a very controversial stock. It doesn't score well on our model. Model because typically, if you don't make money and you have negative free cash flow, those are two pretty heavy demerits you have to overcome. <laughs> Type of stock you're you don't looking, typically want to You're own, looking right? in the future, though. Yeah. So, so we had one client a couple of weeks ago, and you know, I talked to him a lot, and he he wanted to own, he wanted to buy Tesla, and I said, well, better to hear than it was at you know thirty five percent higher. I told him this is highly speculative. You could lose everything here, or perhaps Ron Barron's right. So he knows that that's his funny money, and that's fine. But and we allow that with with our in our clients. I mean, we listen to them to a degree. We will try to advise them, but many times they will overrule us. We will not use Tesla in our portfolios because it doesn't fit our criteria. Do emotions right. what get you involved? Mean by that is just just to finish on that. So what you're talking about here is where a client says, "Okay, I want some speculative holding, maybe here a couple of positions that they, you know, that they have some connection to or." for in the portfolio and that's fine as long as we can look at it and say okay if something goes poorly with that particular stock in this example tesla that it's not going to negatively affect your long-term plan that it won't throw you off from your long-term retirement plan exactly and we've had similar clients call about the marijuana stocks you know oh, there's yeah. a lot of buzz on that industry right no pun intended no pun intended <laughs> no i got that right away yeah i figured you would <laughs> particularly you actually yeah, thank you Derek. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk more when we come back after a quick break uh if you've got questions that want to sneak in you got to do a quick 11 47 13 minutes left in the program Derek felsky mark beck is here annexwealth.com for more information the number to call 799-1130 for news talk 1130 wisn Since 1983, customer surveys show that 99.8% of our clients would recommend... (laughs) 
back on News Talk 1130 WISN. we got a short segment, another quick break, Mark, and then uh, we'll recap things for the week. I do want to mention we're live on Saturdays at 11 a.m. Sunday afternoons, we rebroadcast this show every week at 1 p.m. So we hope you're enjoying the program. More information is at AnnexWealth.com. We covered a lot of territory. We did today. shifting topics a little bit, Derek. So one of the things that uh, always fascinates me, so we have a particular research partner that continues to gauge what we call the uh, the unloved bull market. So they continue to call it an unloved bull market. Um, and I just, you know, it's fascinating to me that we're nine years into an economic expansion and the gauge that they use to kind of look at, you know, how the consumer, how the general um, average investor basically has viewed this bull market and they still put it into that category of unloved. It, just explain kind of for our listeners w- what that means. Unloved? Yeah, why Why we call it that, right? Why do you call it an unloved bull market? Well, I mean, I call it that because in the, you know, since the bottom of the S&P in 2009, money has gone out of U.S. US stocks on, on a net basis. That, that includes mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. And money has migrated towards international equities and fixed income. And if you look at it, typically you see investors chase performance. And clearly they're not doing that because the U.S. stock market has dramatically outperformed international markets and it's dramatically outperformed fixed income. So then you look back at, at prior bull markets, you know, like what we saw, which peaked in 2000, which was mainly known as the tech bubble. And then, of course, the market topped out in 2007. And that was a, the financial, you know, the basically the, the real estate bubble, which triggered the problems in subprime and also ultimately led to the near collapse of our banking system. But at both times, in both 2007 and March of 2000, you saw extreme equity fund inflows, okay? So people were very optimistic about stocks at the time that those those markets peaked. In addition, in 2000, in 2000, credit spreads were very nervous. So we had an inverted yield curve, spreads were widening, that wasn't a positive thing. In 2007, it was more neutral, but right now spreads are very well behaved. Uh, even when the stock market declined seven, eight percent, you know, in January and February, high yield bonds held up pretty well. So, so this market has not been loved by the general public. I don't really know why. I think it's probably some demographic argument there. Cause if you think about it, the baby boomers remember 2000 and the scars that that left behind. They remember their Citicorp stock going from 40 to 1 in 2008 and 2009. Is so, part of it, Derek, that it's been so long? This bull run has been how many years now? Well, it's been since the bottom in 2009, but if you're if you're a baby boomer and you're now about to retire, the last thing on earth you want to experience is a, a correction of the style we had in, from 2000 to 2003 oh, yeah. and from 2000 to 2009. You will not be able to recover very well from that. And again, we've also looked at, you know, a lot of people really don't have adequate savings for retirement. In Annex, I think our clients have done a really ju- nice job, typically, in Agreed. preparing for retirement. Right, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we, you know, sometimes you hear the statistics that are staggering about how little an average household has saved for retirement. You know, but as a wealth management firm, we're focused on helping those people that you know they have options and they have accumulated a very nice nest egg, and they're looking at things like tax efficiency and proper management and avoiding the major potholes and staying on track. But if you were kind of on the edge, you know, and you hadn't saved enough, and mm-hmm. let's say you're not an annex client, right, and you haven't done it the right way up to this point, you might be a little less 
less likely to invest in equities when you really don't have that much cushion, right? right? Because right. particularly this late in the bull cycle. So in my in, in my way of thinking, this is a, a positive thing for stocks, not a negative that we don't see these inflows. At some point, I do believe we'll see a rotation that way away from fixed income as people start to lose money in fixed income, not just in terms of absolute price depreciation, but also potentially in purchasing power if inflation picks up. Because equities typically are a better performer during periods of rising inflation. We'll get to some final comments from Derek and Mark after this on WISN. Stick around. Get ready to start saving during Menards Race to Saving Sale. Get hot water when you need it with water heaters from Menards. Save money on your energy costs with our great selection of Energy Star rated rich. WISN, the final minute of the show goes to Mark Beck and Derek Felsky. Thanks, guys. Great show. Yeah, thanks for being here, Derek. We appreciate it. You know, if you're listening and you want to come in for a free review, see if your portfolio is on track, we invite you to do so. You can call us at 262 786 6363. Or go to AnnexWealth.com. And while you're there, if you're in Appleton and you're interested in coming to our event at the Butamore Country Club coming up this Thursday, go ahead and register for that. A map to Managing Your Retirement. That is Thursday this week, June 7th. Starts at 6 p.m. AnnexWealth.com. Derek, just enough time to get out there and sneak in a round of golf today for you. I'm looking. I'm probably just going to play nine holes. Well, that'll do. I'll take that. Mark, enjoy your weekend. Thanks, Paul. See you next week. Mark Beck will be back, your host, next week at 11 a.m. right here in WISN. Thanks for tuning in. News is straight ahead. The Investment Show is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex that should be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at www.annexwealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult an advisor about your specific situation. Shazam! We're all about diamonds at Kessler's. We give you every option. We don't try to tell you what we would do if we were you. Because we're not you. You are you. We show you all the colors of the 